Every day in the triad, families look for something rare, housing they can afford. Here's how vast the problem is. In Greensboro alone, nearly 40% of residents struggle to meet their housing costs. Over the last year, WFDD has taken stock of the triad's housing crisis. We joined partners at Carolina Data Desk at UNC's School of Media and Journalism and students at Wake Forest University's journalism program to pull back the layers. What's driving this crisis? Where and how is it being felt? And what can be done to still attract growth while preserving housing where it's needed most? Today, we go into a small neighborhood at the edge of Greensboro's downtown. WFDD's Bethany Chafin followed an unusual path to get here, but found a rare window into a place in jeopardy of losing valuable, affordable housing. This intersection in this corner of Greensboro is a dividing line. I'm standing here between two neighborhoods. One is thriving. So if you look one way, you can see downtown, you can see the tallest building in Greensboro peeking over the horizon, and you can see all of the new development in Southside that even though it was done about 20 years ago, it still looks so bright and shiny and new. Southside is a vibrant area, brick townhomes surrounding yoga studios and hair salons, perfect landscaping, new sidewalks, and don't forget the sweet and savory flavors of the bustling dame's chicken and waffles. And when you look to the left, this is the beginning of Old Ashboro. And what brought me here was a series of old maps. Maps that in many ways have become predictors of where gentrification happens. So when I came to Old Ashboro, I thought I'd see new investment and new residents. But instead, what I saw here was something far different. Boarded up homes, vacant lots, people loitering at a corner sitco gas station, the neighbors call them daywalkers. So about those maps. When you look at them, what you see first is how colorful they are. You see blue and green, yellow and red, all this patchwork over the city of Greensboro. The federal government drew up these maps after the stock market crashed in 1929. The colors guided banks to make safer bets on where they loaned their money. This process is called redlining and used race as one of the hazards to warn away banks. Old Ashboro was considered high risk, colored yellow and red because of the nearby black neighborhoods. Why does this all matter? Old Ashboro has nearly 700 residential properties, vital housing stock in a city that doesn't have enough affordable options. In fact, Carolina Datadesk found the current average assessed value for homes here is about $50,000, still within reach for low-income buyers. So how do you lift a neighborhood stained by lending discrimination? And how do you preserve the culture and affordable housing it provides? Is it even possible? To find out more, I turned left into the heart of the neighborhood. Jody Martin stands outside his house on Tuscaloosa Street watching his cat sunbathe. I love cats. Uh, I just call him Gray. He, um, uh, he's been with me for about two or three years now. Jody knows this view, these homes, these neighbors, like the back of his hand. He grew up here, and he plans to grow older here. My parents bought this house back in 1953. The white people that used to live in the area started moving out, and then the first black families moved into this neighborhood. This was a defining moment in Old Ashboro. Some black families settled here after the city cleared what it determined, in its words, slums nearby. 
Homes there had reached such a level of decay, the city bulldozed to start over. Some rented space in large Victorians, left vacant as Greensboro's movers and shakers migrated to the suburbs. Others, like Jody's parents, bought modest homes along streets like Tuscaloosa. An all-black neighborhood was what Jody knew growing up. If you weren't some sort of a service worker or whatnot, you rarely ever saw a white person over here. He remembers his childhood riding his bike around the neighborhood down to his grandparents' house. At home, he dove into comic books, and his soundtrack was guided by his mom's love of Nat King Cole. That's why, darling, it's incredible that someone so unforgettable When Jody was six or seven, he once asked his dad if they were poor. He told me, he says, no, we're lower middle class. Now, we were poor. I mean, we lived in a five-room house, but, you know, we had everything we wanted. Despite money being tight, Jody's family invested in their home, adding rooms and a basement. The wealth they built would be passed down to Jody when he inherited the house after his mother died. A home can be a family's fastest way to build equity and have something to give the next generation. But there's still a large racial disparity in average net housing wealth. According to a 2016 National Survey of Consumer Finances, for a white household, it's over $215,000. For a black household, less than half that. But for Jody and his family, a house was about more than money. When you don't have, you know, the fear of, you know, wanting anything, needing anything, when you know you're in a safe place, everything else is possible. Today, Jody still feels rooted here, even though the neighbors he grew up with are gone. All of the original black owners have either all died or moved away. Like Jody, a lot of the remaining homeowners in Old Ashboro have been here a long time. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, about half of them have been in their houses for at least 20 years, and quite a few for more than 40. As residents age out of the community, not all of the homes are staying in the family. And that could be a problem for old Ashboro. To see why, all you need to do is look a few blocks away to Julian Street. House after house is abandoned, left to decay, like this one. It's actually really beautiful from the outside. So there's a lockbox on the front door. The windows are boarded up. The window that's broken is next to a yellow condemned sign. And it looks like this condemned sign is from February 19th, 2010. So it's obviously been here for a while. This type of deterioration took root in the 1940s. Absentee landlords neglected maintenance on aging homes. Others couldn't afford these costs. And as a result of redlining, there were few new dollars, new loans being invested here. By the 70s, the neighborhood was in serious jeopardy, and the city knew it. Stakes were high. Old Ashboro had affordable homes the city didn't want to lose. So Greensboro invoked state law and declared Old Ashboro blighted. This made things official. The city could intervene to stabilize the neighborhood. But no one predicted how long it would take. In the 1990s, Michael Aikens took his wife, Bee, to see the house he wanted to renovate on Caldwell Street. At the time, she couldn't imagine making a home here. The disparity, the drug infestation, um, the prostitution that was going on, and then just how the, this part of town at that time was so much different than the side of town that I came from. But Michael saw a place of resilience, a community he'd be proud to live in. 
people that I had known, like growing up from little guy, this was a, a community that they chose to move to and moving out of the, you know, in moving out of the projects or moving out of the apartments that they had lived in when they decided to buy a home. It wasn't that they went somewhere else, that they came to a neighborhood like this. Today, with their children grown and gone, B and Michael are still waiting for Ole Ashboro's potential to be fully realized. As president of the Neighborhood Association, B proudly points to the new downtown Greenway extension, a community garden, and recently installed public art. But she says it can be an uphill battle. And you climb and you climb and you climb and you can't get anywhere. Am I seeing some change? Yes. Am I seeing, have I seen as much change as I anticipated? No. They see the answer in more homeowners. People who will sit on their porches, mow their lawns, plant flowers. Now, fewer than 42% of the residents here own. There are few signs that number is likely to increase anytime soon. Carolina Data Desk found for every 100 people living in Ole Ashboro, only eight applied for a mortgage. Across Guilford and Forsyth counties, that number was nearly double. And for the homeowners who are coming, well, their arrival is through heroic effort. Mary Witherspoon and William Scott are watching their new three-bedroom, two-bath house go up before their very eyes. They're about to be first-time homeowners. She's been over there every day to talk to the contractor worker. When they when he rolled up, they said, we see you coming, Mary. And they know who it is when she's coming up there. While I'm at work, she, she goes over there and checks on the progress. Until now, they've been renting a place just blocks away from the house they bought on Reed Street. And they're bucking a trend. Black homeownership in Greensboro has been declining since the recession. An American public media analysis shows that beginning in 2011, it dropped five percentage points in five years. Mary and William are thrilled about the opportunity. That's all she talks about nowadays. Which is a big deal. For Mary, speaking takes effort. She has a tracheostomy tube. But when you bring up her new house, William's right. She lights up. Oh, girl, I got so much joy. I'm wondering why didn't we think we could be able to get this out? Well, we got this out, and I am elated. I am happy. A small local nonprofit called Community Housing Solutions is making it happen. It's a win-win. The neighborhood gets well-made homes and dedicated homeowners. Buyers get efficient, affordable houses and a chance to build wealth. It takes a lot to make this work. City-owned land, donated materials, volunteer builders— but pulling this off for old Ashboro's 132 vacant residential lots? Not likely. Back on Julian Street, Carl Brower knocks on the no trespassing sign in front of an empty lot the city cleared to make room for revitalization. One of the properties that the city has bought um, is available for, you know, someone to put a single-family home in there. But it takes some imagination to see it. The grass is knee-high, there's trash strewn about, it's an eyesore. And a hard sell. Property values are low in this neighborhood. That means a brand new house here will immediately be worth less than a brand new house somewhere else in the city. Carolina Data Desk found the average tax value of residential homes in Old Ashboro is just under $47,000, a casualty of those redlining maps. By comparison, the city average is more than three times that. But until we see these areas that are vacant and available, 
filled with home ownership and persons in the community that want this community to be what we want it to be, uh, we are going to have an ever-ending struggle. For decades, it's been hard to get much here, whether residential or commercial. The neighborhood recently got a family dollar, but Carl says the property sat vacant for 20 years before that. It's the same story for another undeveloped lot nearby. It's been out for bid and looking for proposals for over 10 years. And we've had a couple of nibbles, as the fishermen would say. We haven't had a bite. Despite that, Carl thinks the neighborhood is at a turning point. He imagines a community where it's not such a heavy lift to lure a family dollar. He welcomes a place like Southside, where people can work, live, and play. The city's been trying to court such an investment for a while. One thing is for sure. It's taken longer than anybody could imagine. I'm back at the crossroads where I began, the gateway to the neighborhood. So this corner is where you can feel that the revitalization of downtown is creeping closer and closer to old Ashboro. You can see downtown and the skyline. And the question has always been, how and will old Ashboro connect with downtown? And there are so many more. Will family members stay or return like Jody Martin wants? I'll be here and, and I'm hoping um, if either my niece or my nephew want to eventually, they'll take it over, repair it. Will it be renters or homeowners like B and Michael Akins who move in as residents age out? Even though my uh, professional colleagues may not live over here and the folk I've known haven't lived over here, um, and ask us continuously today, why do we live over here? I always say it's because this is where I believe I belong. And what will future development look like? Carl Brower says the line between uplifting and gentrifying is a very fine one. We're not trying uh, to keep anybody from developing, but it has to be the development that's going to fit the culture of this city and the culture of this neighborhood. But if and when the money starts flowing, it might not be up to them or the city. What's clear is that the next few years will be crucial. For now, they wait, as they have for decades, feeling the pull of the future and the gravity of the past. For WFDD, I'm Bethany Chafin.